You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. Summer is nearly here. I think it already is for some people who might be listening and for others, we're probably about a week away from the summer holidays. So the end is in sight to be able to breathe a sigh of relief and enjoy the six week holidays. And the weather seems to have improved for us as well. It's absolutely beautiful and sunny here and hot. And I'm about to go to my caravan in Anglesey. So I hope that you've all got some wonderful things planned for the summer. So I'm Vicky Maguire and I'm a leadership and education coach. I work with schools and school leaders to help them to improve their own well-being and the well-being of all their staff through coaching for leadership, through building coaching communities in schools. I have developed the Women Lead Well Group coaching program for women leaders to create a space in which they can share ideas and concerns and I've also created the Women Lead Well coaching network to support women more broadly in their roles and in their leadership and it's a shared space where they can come together and support each other and champion each other and connect with like-minded women and be reassured that they're not working in isolation. If you're interested in any of the coaching that I offer um, it would be great to hear from you. You can email me vicky at weleadwell.co.uk or you can go on the website at transformeducationcoach.com and book to have a chat with me. I'd be happy to have a chat with you about anything coaching that you would like to know about or find out about or are interested in. So on today's show, I have Simon Antwis. Now, Simon is an experienced, a very experienced head teacher who's worked in a variety of all through schools. And he's also been an inspector for Os, uh, Estin, which is the Welsh equivalent of Ofsted in England. After 10 years working as a head in those schools and inspecting, he retired to focus on how early intervention pastoral care can be improved. Now, we do talk on the We Lead Well podcast a lot about the well-being of teachers and leaders and staff in schools. But I think that as leaders, we're also responsible for the well-being of, of our pupils. And actually, there's been a significant impact during the pandemic on pupils. And there are now unprecedented levels of mental health challenges for pupils. And that's something as leaders that we need to support pupils with. And Simon is going to tell us about the work that he has done with a system, um, a program called STEER, which can help you to identify some of your most vulnerable pupils. And it, it, I don't get any money for this. I'm not, you know, I'm not making any money from it. I just think it's a really good program for helping schools to identify some of the most vulnerable pupils. And I think the pupils who tend not to say anything, who tend to try to blend into the background a little bit, don't always cause us lots of behaviour issues and aren't always coming out at the top of our behaviour list, but actually might be suffering from some quite significant challenges that they haven't shared with us and this this program that Simon tells us about is an amazing way of capturing that and finding out who those children who are they're actually below the radar we're not recognizing them at the moment and this program helps you as a leader in a school to identify those pupils and to identify them before potentially some significant event occurs for them. So you're going to learn a lot from Simon today and I think you're going to really enjoy what he says, what, what we have to talk about in terms of those vulnerable pupils and the challenges that they face. So enjoy the interview. Simon Antwis, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. It's really nice to have you with us today. How are you? 
I'm great, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to uh, having a nice chat about education. Brilliant. So can you start us off by telling the listener what you do, a little bit about your career and sort of how you've ended up doing what you do now? Yeah, um, I don't know how far to go back, but I didn't initially want to be a teacher. Uh, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I was aware of people that didn't enjoy it as a career. But uh, I think my career has been punctuated with people saying to me, you ought to dot, dot, dot. And, and it's most unlikely people would be you know, a manager at Pizza Hut or you know, TA or uh, you know, a dinner lady. You know, and and um, that's given me confidence to take things further. So I started off as a biology teacher, um, teaching games as well. I love my sport. Uh, and then, you know, I sort of uh, carpet bombed uh, little promotions here, left and centre, left, right and centre, <laughs> um, and picked up little things. Uh, and lucky to work in great teams with um, senior staff who looked after me. Um, I'll mention sort of Uncle Jim and Auntie Leslie, as I called them, <laughs> in my first school, who looked after this sort of, um, basically a student. Um, and then, you know, lucky enough to get promotions um, to head of biology. Um, and then I, I worked in boarding education and, and uh, became a boarding house master. Uh, a lot of these promotions, I didn't really give it much thought, which I think, I don't know if that's a good tactic or not, but um, I think if I thought too much about it, then uh, I might not have done it, but um, it's worked for me. And then when I was a boarding house master, which was, gave me a really deep understanding of young people, uh, yeah. particularly on the pastoral side of things, uh, I did feel a bit unarmed uh, in, in terms of pastoral training um, right from the very start, you know, including my PGC course. Um, I wanted to be a senior leader, so I looked uh, head of sixth form. I was told it was a great job, um, and I got a job head of sixth form in an independent school in Bristol, um, which converted into an academy, and that was really where right. things changed for me. Yeah, <clears throat> um, part of the academy process. So I got roped into the, uh, the team that converted this um, uh, independent school into a, a brand new academy, including new buildings, new curriculum, or oh, new everything. It was a complete reinvention. And I learned a lot about what I was good at and what I wasn't good at and holes in my CV, et cetera. Uh, and we launched this academy in Bristol, which is just amazing. Um, and got to learn a lot about vulnerable children in Bristol, um, uh, access panels and hard to place children. I looked after children, but I learned a lot through that. And then uh, on the basis of that, I got a vice principal's job, um, which was fantastic. I, you know, I was very lucky to work with great heads, great principals through my career. Um, and then someone said, you ought to dot, 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 <coughs> be a head. So I applied for a headship. And as I said to you before, we started chatting here. It, the, the danger of applying for headships is you very well might get one. Um, so yeah, I did get one um, in an all through school in Cardiff, and then I got headship in an all through school in Porthcawl, and then I got headship in all through school in Buckinghamshire, and I love that model of school. In fact, the, the academy we're working at, we converted it to an all through school as well, right. in, terms, in terms of transition and uh, yeah, the progress journey, you don't get those sort of dips between uh, transition points. Uh, and your knowledge of the children is deep and can be passed on and it's a fantastic journey for, for a young child to be in one school for you know 13 14 years um, yeah uh, i used to call those children my lifers by the way <laughs> come right in the box go out and lasted the whole journey uh, through several heads and things like that so and then i decided to be an inspector um so i trained to do that i worked for an inspector in wales actually called estin to inspect all schools, oh, independent yes. and yeah. state, and you know, there's no separate inspectorates. It's like the Welsh. Is that like the Welsh equivalent of Ofsted? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. But that, as I say, they, 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 there's no independent equivalent in Wales. So um, that was a brilliant learning uh, opportunity. I learned a lot about other schools and um, the process. Um, I found being an inspector quite difficult because I, I, I didn't like, you know, the sort of the panic I induced just by walking into the room. <laughs> yeah. um, and the, despite multiple attempts to you know, settle people, uh, inevitably would get nervous with you there. So I did that for a while, but I learned a lot. And then uh, after 10 years of headship, decided to retire from that. And the I decided to look at the thing that uh, made me most passionate, and that was you know, proactive, you know, 
early intervention, pastoral care for young people. Um, and that's where I got a job with Steer Education, who produce a tool that, that helps schools to do that. And um, you know, I follow that passion now. And I think my argument is, in this new role, I can have more impact over more children than any other, any other role I had before. So that's that's been my, my motivation to just keep on moving. So yeah, enjoying the new job. Um, very excited about um, what we can achieve. So you said um, you're working with Steer. So what does that stand for? It's not an acronym, actually. Oh. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an analogy. Um, okay. So uh, in order to help young people understand you know, why they're using this tool and practitioners as well, we describe you know, the journey from age eight to age 18 as being you know, along a road, if you like, with the twists and turns and the hazards and, and so on and so forth, and that the children are steering that journey. And the tool measures children's ability to self-regulate. Okay. Sounds sounds complicated, but it isn't. It's basically making the right decision in the right context with the right people. Um, totally, totally important. I, I I've, I've done lots of reading on emotional intelligence, and um, I mean that's one of the main things that Daniel Goldman talks about, isn't it? Yeah. Self regulation. I don't even think I'd heard of it or realised what it was until I was in my forties, to be honest. And I think, gosh, if I could go back. And into my teens and probably before that and understand that you know I'm feeling all these emotions identifying them understanding what they are where they're coming from thinking right how can I bring myself back to that sort of state that is going to help me move forward and I try to teach my children that my, my stepson this idea of yes you are going to feel all these emotions but how do you regulate yourself and that, that idea of taking responsibility really I find it really powerful and I just I think for children to be taught that from a really young age is so important isn't it absolutely I mean you, you talk about self-awareness I mean the dream is you, you know, I always joke that I'd, I'd love to have a 52 year old brain in my 18 year old body yeah because <laughs> <laughs> I think well I, I, I pretend that I would nail it but I probably wouldn't but uh, you know uh, getting children to understand what's wrong, uh, why they're feeling what they're feeling. Uh, You need to teach them a language, obviously, and uh, self-awareness. So the idea of driving this car helps children understand. And when we release a tool to schools, there's very support um, resources that are adapted to age, use this analogy over and over again. So your highly dysregulated child will be crashing left, crashing right, crashing left, crashing right, and, and just can't stay on the road. And a highly overregulated child will drive down the dotted lines, not not fear of doing anything. And those two extremes aren't the ideal. And you want a mm. child that can adapt their regulation. Yeah, so there, there's situations where they, they can be much more self-disclosing or trusting of others or trusting themselves. And there are other situations where that will change. So it's a constantly moving dials. And, you know, just like a car needs to have constantly moving steering wheel and wheels and all the dials and all the instruments and the gears so that's that's really where the name came from and I think we are at a we're at a crisis point aren't we at the minute with children's mental health in schools the the pandemic has caused probably untold damage to to some children and their mental health and and sort of the I don't think we're going to fully understand the impact of that possibly for years but what what do you feel like schools can do at the moment to I mean it's a huge job isn't it to work out exactly the impact that it's had on on pupils and identify the pupils that you need to be putting some extra support in for because there'll be so many of them and a lot will be keeping that you know they do a good job don't they keeping it sort of Mm. hidden and, and getting on with it so how do you see schools approaching that effectively I want to start off by caveating anything I say in that I know what it takes to be a pastoral carer in a school. And to try and do that remotely for two years is, um, you know, is an unbelievable task. And you know, hats off to all those staff out there that have kept these children going um, through a laptop. Uh, for heaven's sake, it was a difficult enough job as it, as it was before. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to be any sense that I'm telling schools what to do. All I can tell you is, and I'll start every sentence with, in my experience, dot, dot, yeah. dot, this works. So, you know, Steer produced a mental health report a couple of months ago, which was 
published in the broadsheets and you know has been on the news and things like that. And the headline figure is that you know the the, the pandemic has had a bit a larger impact on girls than it has on boys. Right. It's impacted both. So self-regulation, to go back to that term, is down 25% according to the way we measure it. But it's 33% for girls and 15% for boys. And we've seen boys recover and girls not. They're still carrying on a trajectory. Um, and there's a 40% reduction in trust of others, 25% reduction in any sort of risk-taking behaviours. Um, so that's that's the scene. That, and so you're right to say that, that there is a precipice and teenage girls in particular is, is a huge cause of concern. In terms of what schools can do, where A is carry on doing what they're doing, but you know, and, and don't stop trusting your instincts or your professional judgment or all those soft things you see. However, I, I would say that the, the starting point is student voice. And I've been an inspector and we, uh, we, we send out a questionnaire to, to children. And the first question is, do you feel safe? Now, that, that is my least favorite question of all, it, because children probably don't know what safe is, how to measure it. Um, some children aren't aware that, there are, that there's an issue. So a child could be standing on the edge of a cliff don't realise that that's an unsafe thing to do. And thirdly, they might not want to reveal that, that, that they're not safe um, because it might attract attention or expose things they don't want to talk about. So an early detection mechanism um, or you know, a much more sophisticated way of getting around a child's what we call front stage, the veneer they present outwardly and to get to their backstage. And in my experience, the, the tool that we use has done that for me in two schools over a period of six, seven years. And you know, it's, it's identified children we wouldn't spot through other mechanisms. Whatever that mechanism is, whether it's instinct, professional judgment, how the child is manifesting you know, themselves in behavior, what you know, the context in terms of home life, all those things that the school knows, there is an extra piece you can add in, which is, you know, a tool that measures activity of the amygdala in the brain, which is where you develop your self-regulation. Second thing is, you know, really high quality training for all your staff. You know, the government have you know, uh, asked schools to put in mental health specialists in, in all the schools by a certain period. That's great, but uh, we can't rely on that one person delivering all the pastoral care in the school. We need you know, every single employee in that school needs to take a responsibility for the safeguarding of young people and the early identification and the pastoral care in that school. The best schools I've come across, whether ones I've led or ones I've inspected, are where everyone understands the part they play. The math teacher understands that delivering the curriculum in the, in the way they do has an impact on the, on the well-being of the children in their class. So if you've got girls that have got low trust of self, for example, and don't say anything in classroom, you've got to change the way you deliver that lesson to improve that. On the other hand, the pastoral staff realise that the actions they put in place will have an impact on outcomes in maths. And once you get all staff understanding that everything they're being asked to do or they're choosing to do has an impact on academic outcomes and well-being, you've got the perfect culture of the school. So that's the second thing. Third thing is you need toolkits, dashboards. You need to, something to identify what the issues are. Then you need to put in place actions and then you need to be able to measure the impact. So and that's can, the difficulty that a lot of schools face, isn't it, with pastoral? Because academic is really easy to, you can, yeah. you can measure the life out of academic, can't you? There's all sorts of different ways you can measure it and different calculations you can do. Mm. And you can look at different groups of pupils and all sorts yeah. of things. Um, I mean, the mind boggles in terms of the data that you can mm. that you can analyse when it comes to academic progress. In terms of pastoral, it's a lot more hard to pin down, isn't it? Because it's more a lot a lot of it's anecdotal or it's abstract mm. things that you're dealing with. So, how do you first of all, how do you identify the things that you want to measure, and secondly, how do you actually go about measuring them? So that's a good point because as a head, I always felt that uh, my academic dashboard was fit for purpose. I could identify things that were working well, things that weren't low hanging fruit, uh, 
you know, strategize around it, share with staff, create a vision. On the pastoral side of the school, you're right, it's soft, anecdotal, um, nebulous, you know, mm. maybe attendance data is the only one that you can put a number on. And that's where you know, the steer tracking tool really solved that issue. In fact, you know, we, we now have uh, you know, a, 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 an executive summary report and a, for groups of schools, a group-wide dashboard where you can see what the issues are across the school. So um, how do you measure this? Well, the, the children take an online assessment, which takes about 10 minutes. Um, they can do it on iPads or they can do it on desktops in a, in a classroom situation. Uh, and they get asked to imagine a space in school where they feel that they're safest and happiest, whatever that might be, the, the lunch hall, um, you know, the, the, the rugby pitch, or you know, wherever that might be. And then they get asked 16 quite strange questions about that space. How would you feel if that space um, was disrupted? Would you share that space with others? Would you talk to people in that space about your true feelings? And they have to answer on a seven point scale from definitely would to definitely wouldn't. And the tool measures those responses and the time it takes between each response. Um, and you know, over the years, we've understood that that gives you a measure of four things your level of self-disclosure are you a low self-disclosure or a high self-disclosure or somewhere in between trust of self you completely trust everything that you're thinking or saying or the complete opposite trust of others do you trust and believe everything you're being told by others or not at all and then seeking change are you someone that wants to constantly change what's happening or do you want to stick with what's the status quo and all the children vary across that scale, but often it throws up what are called polar biases. So someone's extremely low self-disclosing. So in other words, that child's never going to tell you anything. Or they're extremely high self-disclosing, they overshare, it's inappropriate, it's getting them into trouble. And we identify to the school children who might have polar biases in two or more of those areas, or they've got significant combinations that we call composite risks. And then those children you know, do have a score um, and they're tracked you know, on a chart. And as a school, you can look at patterns across the school as well. So it might be that year nine girls uh, have low trust of self. <clears throat> and you can put together individual action plans or group action plans, or <clears throat> as you mentioned, notable groups you might want to focus on. Um, and it's been brilliant for me as a head to present to trustees or to governors to let them know what we're doing, to ask for more resources and support. It's been brilliant for schools presenting to inspectorates to, to absolutely back up their self-evaluation that the, the pastoral care is outstanding. And I would say that if you, you've got this tool in place, it is outstanding because it's, it's preemptive. It's spotting children early who have left without any action is in place or interventions could manifest itself in self-soothing strategies like self-harm or God forbid anything worse. So, so Desmond Tutu had a quote, which is, we've got to stop people pulling people out the river and finding out why they're falling in. And I would say, you know, you, you go back to your question about asking schools what, what they can do, try and put in systems and processes in place that help you either stop the children falling in or spot they've fallen in earlier or pull them out earlier. Because when I was a vice principal, I was constantly dealing with situations where it all gone wrong already. And trying to do a retrospective is exhausting. And that's been the issue children. in the past with pastoral care, hasn't it? And I think you just used the word um, just a little bit earlier, proactive, because pastoral care in schools is notoriously reactive, isn't it? It's usually you, you recognise that a child has there are safeguarding issues with a child or a child is vulnerable in certain ways or they're a carer or whatever it might be when something comes up when something happens that is already traumatic or damaging for that child and in a lot of cases then you know the damage has been done and you're dealing with the fallout of it and one of the i mean schools are reactive places aren't they 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 do the nature of the the day-to-day -day, you know no day's the same and all, all sorts of things happen schools are reactive places one of the things i work on when i'm coaching leaders is that idea of being proactive and this is sounds like a good way of potentially identifying pupils before that moment of trauma damage whatever it is happens 
you're not dealing with the fallout you're trying to put measures in place beforehand yeah well you know going back to staff well-being and well-being of your leaders what what exhausts leaders is firefighting yeah um and you know when i've when i've been talking about this tool particularly to vice principals and deputy heads who are the engine room of the school um their eyes light up because i think for the first time they think that i've got a tool here where i i'm i'm not constantly me personally picking up the pieces and you know progressing it to, to mash the meetings or marac or you know um, large interventions or get agencies involved or you know and they're piling more and more money on this because i get asked you know isn't this more work and, and my response is okay if you produce a nice jar of jam let's say first time around you, you nailed it you've got this lovely jam and you think well i could produce this well you have to go backwards a little bit to, to produce the factory or whatever it is you know the machine and then you switch the machine on and you come racing back to where you were and zoom straight past so i call those two things upstream processing so you've got to, you've got to go back upstream to make the jam factory to produce the jam and then if it works you've got amazing jam churning up the time and you've got some amazing downstream processing it's not it doesn't take a lot of upstream processing to get an unbelievable flow of downstream processing so yes that, that you've got to set up the, the, the platform and things like that but you know, the training's all there and you've got three years of consultancy and your hand is held completely and then it's your job to get this down to tutor level so in my first year you know i had the senior leadership team on the table get the data back second year middle leadership on the table get the data back and reacting third year the dream tutors look at the data they're 30 children then put action plans in place them implementing them then measuring impact and i got as brave as putting this on performance management so you know and staff saying I, I love this on my performance management i love it that you're asking me to address low trust of self in my year 10 boys um because we very rarely get to the end of the year and there hasn't been some positive impact um so deputy heads around the country speak phew that's a relief i'm i'm, I'm finally i've got the biggest team in the school <clears throat> which is basically everyone <clears throat> trying to deliver pastoral care at a point of contact where I can't be all the time. So I you know, completely support your point. And so I get asked, A, does this have an impact on people wellbeing? Categorically, yes. Does it have an impact on staff wellbeing? Yes, because it's making the job easier. And they can tell people what a good job they're doing. And they can, they can be held to account because everyone wants to be held to account. Everyone wants to do a good job. But they can say, look, this is the evidence I've done a good job. Um, so, yeah, it was transformative for me in both my schools where I launched this in, in terms of so staff workload. I'm assuming that <coughs> there's, so it sounds to me like, you know, you're acknowledging there that this is not, <laughs> one of the things that I often say is slow down to speed up. And it sounds to me like, you know, you're advocating for, a process of change with it so it's not just you start doing it and it, it all works straight away it's actually a, a process that you go through to you know initiate it and embed it and sustain it and, and make it work over a longer period of time but I'm assuming that it has to align with other systems that you've got in place and there would be some sort of impact on behavior systems I'm thinking about what you're saying about well-being because one of the major major um, elements of well-being in schools is behavior and that that is what causes a lot of mental health well-being challenges for teachers is behavior and the difficulty of behavior in schools and dealing with it and i'm assuming that once you use this system that it will i mean it has to align with your behavior policy and, and systems and there's probably some work to do with that but once you get that working I, I could see that it actually could have an impact on behavior across a school I'm assuming it's primary and it's like a, is it an all through yeah, uh, program from, as well it works from year three up to year 13 yeah um, in year 11 the, the, the pupils if the school decides the pupils get to see the data <laughs> and they become a lot, lot lot more ownership we call it take the wheel right and then the sixth form, we have some other products, like there's one called Use Steer, where the, the children can test whatever they like. Yeah. And they use it to develop soft skills ready for the, the, the you know, life beyond school. Um, 
but back to your point about behavior you know behavior is a way a child's way of communicating always not yeah wanted. exactly yeah so you know i get asked the question when children sit down and get this tool in front of them do they game the system yes they do but we have a tool that identifies when a child is just pressing the same answer you know blah, 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 and it's finished in a minute because that's a flag in itself is it not that's something so that you know um i can't you know it'd be bold of me to say that it's, it's transformed behavior in in all schools but all i can tell you is in my experience in my two schools it did um, because you're, you're not getting children who are getting deeper and deeper uh, and developing a more sophisticated front stage to hide what's going on the backstage and a lot of that is behavior um, and you get you've got a tool here that can get around that um, and, 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 you know hopefully nip that sort of thing in the bud so it it has it does have an impact on behavior it does have an impact on academic outcomes it does have an impact on attendance before we find out more from Simon, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics, from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat, it's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. And, and this is what I would say to any senior senior leader, sort of CEO level, that you know there is a significant return on investment in terms of you know, what what it costs you to, to not have it in place, because you know, uh, in terms of behaviour, you know, using alternative provision or approves or uh, what you invest in attendance officers and things like that. I mean. The other point I would make, you know, in terms of you asked me the question a while ago about, you know, yeah, what schools could do. I think there is you know, a call for more you know, emotional uh, well-being and mental health um, to be embedded in the curriculum. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying it isn't, but I think there could be made more time made for it. However, what I found was that it effectively was being embedded in the curriculum because, you know, um, particularly with the tool Take the Wheel, we started to teach children the language of self-regulation, they're understanding why they're feeling like they're feeling. Obviously, that, that can't be in place in primary school, but um, certainly these dead periods, tutor periods that I had in my school where the register was taken and then everyone sat and stared at each other for 10 minutes. Now what you've got is quality interventions, you know, uh, quality conversations going on based on the, the data they're getting back from the tool. I was thinking about what you said about, you know, a maths teacher using it. And it made me think about when, I mean, I was still teaching even when I was a deputy head. And one of the, one of the things that I always found is you do have a group of children sitting in front of you, say 30 children sitting in front of you, and you don't actually know what their background is. You don't actually know which children are carers you don't know which children have got there are safeguarding issues with because of the levels of confidentiality and sometimes as a teacher I felt like I didn't know the children well enough in that class to be able to differentiate like we differentiate don't we in terms of our teaching mm. we wouldn't we wouldn't teach a child the same in year 11 and year 7 we won't be teaching them the same material for example or you know a, a pupil who comes in with a score of 96 from the SATs in year six, say, and someone who's got 120, you know, we would do probably, mm. we would support them in different ways. Yeah. But what I felt was, yeah, you do get to know the children and you obviously you do differentiate the way you treat them. But some children, like you said, they're very good at putting up a front. And sometimes as teachers, we can make mistakes there then because we don't realise that particular pupils are vulnerable or do have have issues. I suppose it's not a nice word to use. Or they're facing specific challenges, for example. Yeah. So as a, as a class teacher, how would this data and system how would it help me 
to be I suppose more empathetic or yeah. I'll be able to differentiate my the way that I the way that I deal with children in my classes so I'll give you an example so uh, in one of my schools we identified that um, year nine girls um, had no trust of self so they were polar bias in terms of trust of self as a group obviously there's some variation in that so we put together a group action plan based on that information and shared it with the staff so whilst there are confidences in particular children and particular issues it's manifesting itself as low trust of self so in a in a you know co-educational school you've got girls particularly the maths class and for whatever reason are led to believe they're not as capable at maths which is rubbish um aren't confident enough to pipe up or offer answers or intervene or do take a risk in a, in a lesson of, of being wrong um you know and any good teacher allows that you know being wrong to be part of the culture um but what you can say to the math department is look the reason the girls are underperforming compared to the boys is because they've got this low trust of self so it's another insight it's nothing to do with innate not liking the math it's a, that's a myth um, and we need to bust it um, so you as a department here's your information blow to self and you nine girls come back to me in a week with an action plan about how you're going to change the change the pedagogy across department wide and then you come back and say look it might be seating arrangements it might be more group work or it might be empowering the girls to say things whatever it took and then i i would say we'll we'll measure the impact on year nine girls and we can even tease it out the maths and see if, if your action plans had some impact and it does it just does but so i i share the frustrations that when i remember i was a classroom teacher and the things going on i didn't know about and i think the best schools find ways to do that but this this tool you know, at least allows the teachers to think, I've been made aware of an issue with, with a particular cohort. And it might be you want to pick one of your notable groups and do the same thing. You know, look at, you know, um, SEM versus non-SEM or, or whatever, not, not just gender. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's how you change a culture in a school. It's where, you know, as an inspector, you can go in and go to, a, we keep picking on maths, but, you know, it could be Latin, whatever. So, look, how do you, at the coalface, have an impact on pastoral care in this school? Because you're telling me it's outstanding, so I'm just trying to triangulate it. So I've asked the kids, and they've told me this, and I've asked the senior leaders, they've told me this. I'm asking you as a classroom practitioner, does that culture seep down to here? They say, yeah, there's an action plan we're all made aware of. And, you know, and you think, I can walk away and go, right, they're definitely going to get an outstanding for this, because it is part of the culture. And I get asked when I was ahead, you know, is, is, what's pastoral care like at school? And I said, and I said, well, make sure you ask this question for the other heads of the other schools you're looking at. That's what I'm going to ask you first, because I'm going to give you an answer. One is we're proactive. So we, we try and spot it before they fall in the river. Two is longitudinal. So we do it over time. So if they're here for 13 years, they're going to, it's going to happen twice a year, three times a year for 13 years. And three, when they leave, whatever time that is, they get all the data. They get all the action plans that are put in place for them for 10 years. So when, when you felt like this, this is what they did. When you felt like that, that's what they did. And when you get to university or work or further education, whatever it is you're doing, because I know my first year at university was a disaster. <laughs> Mine too. You know, <laughs> ran out of money, dumped from my girlfriend, away from home, you know, and I was trying to style it out, but I, you know, I wasn't. I came home at Christmas and my mum thought I was a different person. It would have been great to get on my phone and go, I wonder what happened in year 10 when I was lonely. Oh, my teachers did this for me. They didn't tell me they were doing it, but they did it. And here was the impact. Oh my God, it works. I'll try that for myself. So it's, it's before the fact, during the fact, and after the fact. Now that is outstanding pastoral care, I'm sorry. It's a gift to give a child when they're going off from school. Bye, thank you. Had a great time at school. Here's a gift for you on your phone if you want it. So um, that, that's unequivocal for me that that, that that school takes pastoral care seriously. One of the things that um, I think we struggle with is, is that identification of the vulnerable pupils. Um, and you, you've written an article, haven't you, for, for a school magazine about yeah. um, like not, not missing children. And that's the fear, isn't it, for a lot of pastoral leaders. Mm. Like, I suppose like the 
the Archbishop Desmond Tutu's like you, you're dragging them out of the river um, you know hopefully they're still alive when you drag them out of the river but but it's about you know finding out why they're jumping in or preventing them from jumping in the first yeah. place and knowing who those pupils are so can you tell us about a bit more about this article that you wrote because I think you were saying sort of I think your pastoral team had identified 21 pupils already and who came up when you did the yeah. survey but but there were 26 pupils so there were sort of I suppose five pupils who might have just slipped through the net had it yeah. not been for that survey and the identification of those vulnerable pupils yeah the article was called no more janes in teach secretary magazine and um jane isn't the girl's real name obviously but the first time we got the data back in my first school uh, i had my senior team at the table and it the meeting you know, provoked two responses one it was um affirmative a lot of affirmation in other words Oh, these children that are being identified, we'd identified ourselves already through our own systems and processes. But it's also revelatory because it, it threw up children that we hadn't identified. And the first reaction was the, the tool is rubbish and it's wrong. And why Simon spent, you know, all his time and effort and dragged us all in there for this. Because it pulled up one girl who we called Jane who was you know, eight, grade eight, grade nine girl, sort of sporty, well-liked, um, had girl material, if I'm honest. And I think we all fell off our seats and thought, what on earth is she coming up as a priority pupil for? You know, she, she's showing multiple polar biases, you know, those four areas I've described. So we, we, this, it's up to the school what they, they do with these 27 pupils. Then there might be great actions in place. We'll carry on with those. But here's some actions you might, you might consider. You might want to find your action plan or start a new one. Uh, and then with the pupils that you hadn't identified, you know, it's up to you what you want to do. So I think looking back, we decided not to do anything with Jane and just put her on a monitoring list. Anyway, a few weeks later, she walked off school site vanished then in a school where that wasn't the culture and the deputy head managed to find her at home and she was cooking food for her siblings his three siblings and um what we found out subsequently is that the one parent was ill abroad and the other parent had gone out to help and a proud family and hadn't informed the school and thought that they could you know style this out until family was back together again but obviously not so that was quite a revelation and i think what it's what it did was it, it, it helped us trust the tool uh, and put interventions in place to and and, and see that through because it, it did pull out a child that we was hidden because she was very adept at creating a brilliant front stage uh, which is why i hesitate to call it a survey or a questionnaire it is it is an assessment um, which can circumvent the front stage and get to those backstage and find that hidden middle for you um, uh, and, and, and prevent you know, a crisis being reached and, and all the work that entails and all, all the effort to, to get the child to recover um, back to normal. So what happened with that pupil? Did that, did that then change the way? Because you said what you were doing were was sort of monitoring her and then she ended up walking out of school. Um, Luckily, it was just to go home and, and feed her siblings and not something yeah. more serious. Yeah. Um, but did it, did it make you change your approach to those pupils who came up who you initially hadn't identified? Definitely. Did you do something yeah. different with them from then on? Well, we put, you know, we would, my attitude was then, look, let's, let's put action plan in place for every child that's pointed out to you. You could even look at children who are close or have composite risks. So, you know, high trust of self, low trust of others is quite a dangerous combination where basically you're doing everything you're listening to. You're listening to yourself, but not others at all. And that, that if, you get, if you get the extremes of those two, that's sort of, you know, sort of Genghis Khan of <laughs> level of personality. So you don't necessarily need to have come up as a priority pupil. You can look at composite risks. So it depends how deep you want to go as a school. Uh, and my attitude was uh, to, to allude to a point you made earlier, is I didn't want to be ahead that had a child, God forbid, did something awful to themselves or to someone else, uh, you know, and I, 
and I, I ignored a signal. And equally, I wanted to have systems in place that allowed me to get as much information back as possible, so at least I could react to it. So I wouldn't call it carpet bombing as such, but I, I definitely felt less. And the action plans aren't deep dive, they're quite low touch. You're, you're, you're asked to pick one of the biases. A child might have three or four biases, and the temptation is to pick all four, loads of actions, but like any bad science experiment, if you change more than one variable, you won't know what had the impact. So and the children are being assessed two or three times a year, so you can, you can change what you're focusing on. And the same as a whole school. So initially, the school showed year nine girls as being the vulnerable group. But then a year later, it was year six boys who were facing transition that was a vulnerable group. So it teaches the school that, A, safeguarding is never finished. It's never 10 out of 10. There's always another cab off the rank. Uh, and you need to be, you know, develop a notice culture. But it's a lot to ask teachers who've got, as you say, even with empty head has got the timetable, to be constantly in notice mode. It's, it's, a, it's a support tool for everything that's in place already, because go back to my point right at the beginning, which is uh, hats off to the pastoral care staff in all schools in the UK and abroad, because we would have more, we'd have more of a precipice if it wasn't for them, let's put it that way. It, it would be worse than 25% reduction in self-regulation. So it's you know, a lot of schools are getting their data back and they're getting negative figures and they're getting upset about it. But I'm saying, look, you, you've got to understand what's happened. The protective factor for all these children is gone. Because the tool also allows you to ask the children to imagine a space at home or out of school. You know, and when I do this, I imagine fishing. You know, a lake I go by where I can be by myself. And you get asked the same questions about that space. So now you've got two scores, in school and out of school. And what we found is, the in-school score is always better than the out-of-school score, which tells you schools are doing an unbelievable job. If schools weren't here, society would be in a bigger mess. And that's been proved by the fact that schools are shut and look what happens. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to get a little bit political now because I, I, I get upset that children are constantly being told there's a learning gap. Yes, there is. But it's not as important as your mental health wellbeing gap. Because as you know, you can't fix one without the other. So if, if I was influential enough, I'd be saying to the government, throw it all at a mental health wellbeing gap. Because the learning gap can be fixed later, or we can adjust society to adapt to that, or you know, we can message it with the children. Let's not keep telling them the learning gap. Uh, you know, it's going to drive them mad. Just say, you know, don't worry about that. You're in the same boat as everyone else. We'll sort out later, but we, we, we're going to focus on fixing the mental health wellbeing gap because then if you're a good self-regulator, you can fix that. You Is that something that's picture. that's come out of your data that schools notice that disadvantaged pupils have lower scores on? Which is just that their scores overall have been impacted, you know, comparing in and out of school. So we, we compare how many polar biases are in school and how many polar biases are out of school. And you know, before the pandemic, there was a nice you know, um, uh, bias towards the school data. The school data was showing the children were better self-regulators than at home. Um, and the school, particularly for vulnerable children, you know, deprived areas, the school is pivotal in, in you know, allowing a child to develop their self-regulation. And that, that's not a, a scourge on parenting. It's just to do with resources and you know, challenges and hardships. But um, yeah, what we noticed during the pandemic was those scores came back together again and even swapped over because that protective factor of school, all that drip, drip, drip of pastoral care that you know, we find hard to define, you know, the watching children go into assembly, the, the monitoring the behaviours, uh, the dress, the demeanour, all that soft data is gone. Mm. Um, and what you can see on the screen doesn't compare. So uh, yeah, I go back to my point. It, it, pastoral staff around the, around the UK have done an unbelievable job in keeping that gap as, to where it is, it would have been worse. Uh, the, there are other um, systems, aren't there? There are other, I think there's a PASS survey, isn't there, that some schools use, and I've, I've seen it, and it's a, it's a huge thing. It's like, it's massive. It sounds like uh, what you're talking about, the steer is, is much, like you say, it doesn't take very long to, is it 10 minutes for the pupils to to do the survey um what 
I suppose probably what lots of listeners are thinking is, what's the science behind it? Like, how, how where, where have these areas come from? And how can you know that that's, that it's reliable, like that what it's telling you is reliable? Because it's just a very brief survey um, and you've got your four key areas. So how do you know that it's reliable? <laughs> I I, I'm not going to be drawn on comparing uh, us to another. another I know, I'm, so, not, I'm not asking you to uh, compare. I'm just saying I know there are other, like I'm not promoting STEER necessarily. I know hmm. schools are using other other methods, but I just know that that's a much bigger, like it's a, there's a lot more to it in think, terms of the uh, questions that it asks. And the, the, the founders of the, of the tool you know, developed it you know, over the last 20 years, uh, are both psychologists by trade and are based right. their doctorates on this on this work. Um, uh, Joe Walker, uh, their, their husband wife team actually, Joe and Simon Walker, both doctors. Uh, Joe Walker worked in really vulnerable schools, uh, state schools in the, in the north, uh, and had a role with the local authority. Uh, and Simon uh, is a respected scientist at Oxford University, and they developed the tool between them. And what I would say is, you know, it, we think we're the only tool that has got data over such a long period of time you know, with the numbers of children. Uh, and you know, we, we're constantly responding to the data coming in. Uh, and the, the questions that are designed to get um, to be universal. So everyone can imagine a space, right, whether you're eight or 18. Mm. And no matter what your ethnicity or your gender, it, it cuts across all those things. And it, it, and it gets around the do you feel safe clunkiness of the question. Um, and uh, they, you know, they base their doctorates on the, the fact that these questions could tap into the part of the brain called the amygdala, which is where you, you develop your, your ability to self-regulate. Um, so, you know, I would, I would say that, you know, the, the size of the project and it is, it is an ongoing scientific experiment um, you know, with, with published work and published reports uh, and data we share with the BFE uh, and other groups. So, um, you know, I've, I've stated my reputation on it in terms of you know, leaving headship and moving to it because I, I completely believe in the science. I've seen it work at a practical level on individual pupils and in groups of pupils and in groups of schools. Um, uh, you know, I would stake my reputation on, on it. Um, obviously, you know, we, we welcome any challenge, uh, uh, any you know, peer review is, is most welcome. Uh, and we respond to our users as well. The users have given us lots of ideas, particularly Take the Wheel, for example, was, was in response to uh, schools saying that the children felt frustrated that they couldn't see their data. Um, and we felt that's a fair point. So we'll, we'll adapt the tool to 16 year olds. So that they can see their data and they can be involved in their action planning. So it's a constantly evolving tool. Um, and yeah, you know, as I say, I wouldn't like to compare it to other tools, but I have used other tools. Um, and this this one by far, you know, helped to change culture rather than just process or procedure in a school. And that's the important thing, isn't it? It is about the culture. It is about the, the culture of, I suppose the the leadership's approach to it and, and the staff approach to it as well absolutely you know if you if you want if you, if you don't have a huge you want to change a school in, in a huge way it, it's it's like turning you know an oil tank around and if it's sinking on fire you know, you've got lots of issues so you've got to be very clear about what is it you're trying, you're trying to achieve so you know i, I love using the nostr change management model, which basically talks about having a vision, having the skills, resources, and incentives, and a clear action plan. If you've got those five things in place, you can change a culture. But you've got to start with a vision. What is, what is it you're trying to achieve? You're trying to have proactive, um, early intervention, pastoral care that prevents children falling in the river, uh, that everyone can contribute to, to change the culture of the school into a notice culture. Uh, and change academic outcomes and behavior and attendance. What skills do you need? Well, you need to train your staff and you know, the, the tool has all those things in place, training modules and you get a consultant to support you. Uh, the resources, you know, um, I didn't have to write one letter to a parent. All the templates are there, all PowerPoints, all there for all your stakeholder groups. Uh, and you know, there are webinars and everything's on the website. All, it's one of the most resource tools I've ever had. Um, in terms of incentives, well, 
if you're not incentivized to care for young people, then you're in the wrong job. So everyone wants to go and do that job better. And we, and we talked about before we started chatting in the, in the podcast about the level of our pastoral care training. Yeah. DGCE through the early days, which is almost zero. So, you know, staff are incentivized by good training. And then action plan, you know, and the action plans are really clear. They're for children as individual or groups or cohorts. And you can drop it into a strategic plan and say, look, this is what we're having to do with pastoral care. So, uh, you know, I think everything is there in a nutshell for you to be able to change the culture in your school if, if, if you communicate it in the right way and you set the right vision. So it sounds it sounds amazing. I'm, I'm not advocating for it. Isn't it? <laughs> not I'm not getting just to make it clear. I'm not getting any sort yeah, of affiliate affiliate thing here, am I? I'm just I just think it, it does sound like a great solution to something that schools have struggled with for a, for a very long time. If people want to find out more, where can they get in touch with you, Simon? So we've got a website. It's very simple: steer.education. Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Simon Antris. Uh, my email address is Simon Antris, or one word, at steer.global. And I'm happy to take any email straight to that address. I'll answer everyone I get. Um, yeah, we've, you know, if, you, if you Google Steer Education, um, you should be able to get to the national report we produced uh, in February because it went into all the main board sheets. Um, uh, and on, on ITV News as well. So uh, um, that might be a good starting point to, to understand the problem in the UK and why we do what we do. Great. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's been really, really interesting talking to you. You know, I hope that um, some schools now might have a solution that they've, been, that they've been looking for for a while. So thanks for coming in and telling us all about it. Thanks for chatting to me. It's, it's been great. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Simon. And say thank you to Simon for telling us all about the STEER programme. I think it could make a huge difference in schools. And like I say, I'm I'm not getting any money. I'm not promoting this at all. But I do think it sounds like it could be a game changer in some schools in terms of supporting behaviour management and in terms of supporting your most vulnerable pupils and specifically identifying who those pupils are because like Simon says you never know what's happening in someone's mind so if you can use something that gives you a bit more of a window into what's happening with pupils and what's going on in their minds then I think you you know it must be something worth trying the other thing that I think is really important for us to understand is that the impact that the pandemic has had the self-regulation being down by 25 percent especially in girls it's down 33 percent in so we really need to be supporting these pupils at this point in time that needs to be one of the key things that we focus on i think coming out of the pandemic now as we're moving towards i suppose we keep saying getting back to normal don't we whatever whatever normal looks like these days so i had some really nice feedback this week on the show and I would like to shout out to Rebecca Wong, who has started listening to the podcast and said that she's really enjoying the different perspective that it brings to leadership. So thank you, Rebecca, for your feedback on the podcast. It was really nice to receive it. It would be really great if you could pop on the iTunes review and give us a five star review. That would be amazing if you could do that, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, that is, of course. So that's all we've got time for today. I hope you get a chance to go out there and enjoy the sunshine. If you're on holidays now, have a fabulous time. If you're on holidays at the end of next week or the week after, I hope it comes around really quickly for you and I hope you get a chance to have a fantastic holiday. I will be putting out one show over the summer holidays because I will be going on holiday myself. So look out for that show. And then once we're back in September, I will be doing this show once a fortnight. I will be putting a show out. So if you want to get in touch with me, it's vicky at weleadwell.co.uk. I would absolutely love to hear from you. If you want to feedback on the show, you can tweet us and let us know your thoughts. We're at weleadwell.co.uk 
pod c1 i think we are on twitter but you can find the actual twitter handle in the show notes and you can find the details of where you can find all the information about steer the program that simon was talking about so as i said that's all we've got time for today take care of yourself take care of your staff and lead well This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchats.com and the Teach Well Alliance.